You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We're going to continue in this Word of Life series, Learning from Jesus, uh, the teaching of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And um, so we are going to be in John chapter 19. And uh, we're going to look at several other scriptures to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, Probably the shortest passage uh, that we're focusing on in this series, uh, John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, is the text that we are starting in. All right. So John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Uh, I'll read this out loud if you would follow along and then uh, we'll pray and and again ask the Lord to help us here and make this time productive for his name's sake. John chapter 19, starting at 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much for your word. We remember again that your word is a miracle, that we have it written on pages and sitting in our laps is just a miracle. And, and I don't think there's any other way we could describe it to, to ascribe higher importance to it than to just realize that it's a miracle from you that we have it. We thank you for it. Thank you that it's powerful, that it's living and active. Thank you that we can understand you by it. We can understand ourselves by it. We can discern your will from it. We can understand what it is that you've done to reconcile us to yourself. We ask this morning that you would do all these things and that you would cause us to believe your word. That we would do more this morning than just gather together and hear it or even understand the uh, technical meaning of it or the theology of it. That we would get beyond intellectual understanding this morning and we would get to belief. Just to understand your word, we know, is a gift and a work of your Holy Spirit, but to believe, Lord, to believe your word, we know, is the greatest miracle that you do in our hearts. So we ask for that. Please, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Please speak directly to our hearts, cut deep, Convict us of our sin, lead us into righteousness for your name's sake, we ask. Amen. 
All right, so as always, hearing teaching from Jesus is critically important for us. Um, in fact, no matter who you are, uh, no matter why you came here this morning, whatever it was that drew you here, whether it was a desire to learn from God, a desire to deepen in your knowledge of Him, your love for Him, your obedience to Him, uh, to seek to glorify Him, or whether or not you just came here out of pure tradition, or even out of guilt, or because someone talked you into it, no matter why you're here this morning, it is critically important for you to hear the teaching of Jesus because it's the teaching of Jesus that establishes our understanding of how the universe actually works, why we're in it, what this is all about, why your life matters, and how you can live it to the fullest uh, to experience joy and to experience life with God, which is the only kind of real life. So um, uh, I hope that that's now, even if it wasn't when you got here, I hope that that is now the purpose that you've adopted for yourself being here this morning is to know and understand who Jesus is, to understand his teaching. And um, there's a lot of things that Jesus said in his earthly ministry uh, and this is the last before his death. I mean, you notice here uh, in, in verse 30, in, in the last part of our, uh, the very last phrase of our scripture this morning says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He, he died in this moment. So we're examining what Jesus' teaching is, the theology of Christ as he dies. There's a lot of important things he said, everything he said, super important, <laughs> right? Isn't there something just particularly poignant, something attention-grabbing about what Jesus would say with his final breath? What mattered to him? What occurred to him? What, what was it in this moment that was so important that he made this declaration it is finished. And what are we learning from that? What is the theology about Christ, about God, about us that we need to understand in this moment? It is finished is the theology, the statement, the declaration of Christ in his moment of death. Well, if you were to flip back just a few chapters to John chapter 13, uh, you would see just before Jesus bowed down on the night before he was crucified, on the night before this moment, you would see Jesus bowing down to wash his disciples' feet. And John's description of that, because remember John who wrote these words, who wrote just a few chapters before, who was there having his feet washed by Jesus the night before the crucifixion, one of his disciples, John describes Jesus' attitude, Jesus' mission uh, as one of love. That Jesus had loved his disciples and he loved them to the end, John 13, 1 says. He loved them to the end. John was writing that years and years after these events occurred. He, he wasn't, if you thought so, he wasn't kind of traveling around with Jesus as some kind of a biographer, keeping track of all, you know, a reporter, um, keeping a track of everything. Uh, it was later on, after he had lived with Jesus, after he had learned from him, he had seen Jesus raised from the dead, 
He went back and carried along by the Holy Spirit and reminded by the Holy Spirit, he wrote down Jesus' teaching and what he understood about Christ. And he said in John 13, 1, that Jesus loved them to the end. Why would he describe it that way? We're gonna get deeper and deeper into this, but I want to defend this morning that when Jesus said, it is finished, he was making a declaration about his love for us. Not that he was done loving us, but that he had completed a work of love. He loved them to the end, and then he said, it is finished. This work of love for his disciples and his love for us, he had finished it. Of course, we know, we wanna go ahead and look forward, spoiler alert, Jesus didn't stay dead. He did, on the third day after his death, raise to life and is alive even now, and he's sending his spirit and helping us, interceding for us so that we might understand the work of love that he completed on our behalf. He is alive and well. But at this point, let's focus here, zero in on what it was that Jesus accomplished and how it was a work of love for us. And then uh, really, by the time we're done examining this finished work of Christ, I'm hoping that we're just uh, believing and, and resting securely in this truth. And I hope it's life changing and transforming for you. So if you would with me, turn to another one of John's writings that he wrote when he was a much older man, 1 John, and let's get to chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. So if you're going to get there in your own Bible, we'll have it on the screen, but I think it's good practice to get there in your own Bible. 1 John, you're going to go way towards the end of the New Testament. You're going to see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, then Jude, and then Revelation. So just before Revelation, get to 1st John and chapter 4. And now John, the same one who was there in this moment, who was there at the crucifixion of Christ, who had been taught by Jesus personally, who wrote all these things down, taught by the Holy Spirit, later on as an older man, is teaching about the love of God, about the sacrifice, the death of Christ, this finished work, and what it was Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. He's writing about these things so that we can understand them. And he says in chapter four of 1 John, starting verse nine, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. So now what he's talking about here, if I can just stop for a second, is how to understand the love of God. How to understand it. It, we can say all day long that God loves us. God loves us. In fact, there are people all over the world who don't know God who say God loves us. But how is it that we can actually understand the love of God? How has God made it known to us? This is what John says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was made tangible for us, understandable for us. Here's how that was done. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Now he's gonna go ahead and define love for us. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment in our place. I know propitiation is a weird word if you haven't been studying theological books and things like that, but propitiation means a payment in place. Jesus became the payment in our place for our sins. And this is the definition of love. And this is the manifestation of God's love. Christ dying in our place for our sins. This is how we recognize the love of God, by seeing that God sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins. So just right out of the gate, if you don't understand what love is by a biblical definition, and you don't know how to recognize it by a biblical definition, then you will miss out on the love of God. You won't understand the love of God. You won't recognize the love of God. And you will battle your whole life with whether or not you are loved by God. So you can understand why this is important for us this morning, right? If we don't know we're loved by God, then what do we have? We're, we're hopeless. But if we know that God loves us, there's hope beyond this life that can never be stolen from us. So we want to recognize, we want to understand God's love, and we have to see it in the death of Christ. We have to see Jesus on a cross declaring a finished work of love if we are to know that we are loved by God. So here's Jesus declaring from the cross, it is finished. He finished his work of ministry. He finished offering himself as a propitiation for our sins, a payment in our place. He finished manifesting the love of God among us. We don't have to look beyond the cross to know that God loves us. God doesn't need to give any further proof of his love than the cross of Christ. If we start grasping at other proofs and, we, and we're constantly in the state of asking God to prove to us that he loves us beyond the cross of Christ, then we're going beyond what God has provided and said is final, finished proof of his love for us. We don't need more than Christ on a cross. It's everything we need. According to John, when we believe that Jesus died for us, we're not only believing that Jesus accomplished payment for our sins, but that that payment was God's final, unchangeable, complete proof that he loved those, loves those who believe the gospel and are saved by Christ. This is a final, complete finished work of love, and it is proof. It's proof. Now, from our position, does God owe it to us to prove anything to us? He doesn't owe us anything, right? We are creatures made by him, and we've rebelled against him, sinned against him. Does he owe anything to us to convince us that he loves us? Zero, nothing. So for him to manifest his love for us through Christ dying on a cross in our place for our sins is far beyond 
what we deserve. In fact, it's the opposite of what we deserve. We deserved to be on a cross for our own sins. But here is God, not only dying for our sins in our place, but making it a manifestation of his love to prove his love for us. I mean, the, the depth of grace, the extent of grace in this, there's, there are thousands of layers to the grace that God is showing through Christ on the cross. And Jesus on the cross is declaring, it is finished. He's teaching us here that there's no more need, there's nothing lacking, there's nothing else to grasp for, to ask for, to need from God. It is finished. Everything we need, every proof we need, all the love of God, it is established. It's complete. Every time you remember the gospel, Every time you hear it preached, every time you take communion, you remember the death of Christ, God intends for you to know for certain that you are loved by him. I, I feel that um, being a person who is uh, in pastoral ministry and even in, in paid pastoral ministry, that you all put money together and support my family so that I can devote my time, my energy, my life to ministry to you, to teaching you the word of God. And living in this world, I feel that the love of God is something that is made a little too easy, a little too obvious, a little too foregone, like, uh, we talk about the love of God in such a flippant and an easy way, as if it's just a given, as if, as if God loving us is something that was owed to us by the fact that we are human. But please understand, the love of God for us, sinners, is something that Christ died for. Not something that was given to you just by the fact that you were born. God made it manifest through the death of Christ. If Christ had to die to show the love of God to us, and if the love of God for us is not just, I made you, therefore I love you, but it's, I made you, you rebelled against me, I was waiting patiently for centuries through millennia for a time to send Christ to die in your place for your sins so that you could be reconciled to me. Through no work, no goodness, no righteousness of your own, just a gift of grace, if this is the manifestation of God's love for us, then we shouldn't be talking about it as if it's just a thing, just a notion, just an anecdote, just a side note. It is the central theme of God's attitude towards those who believe in him. His love for us is what led Christ to the cross. It is the thing that he finished a work of love on our behalf to save sinners. We're meant to remember this constantly, constantly. I, I almost feel that that's why it was the last thing Jesus said before he died, so that it would be in a special place 
in our minds. The last thing he said before he died, it is finished. I've done what I came to do. The proof is there. The manifestation is before you. I love you. Now, the love of God, as, as gracious a thing as it is, a mind-blowing thing as it is, is something that has been known by God's people since before Christ came. Psalm 136. In Psalm 136, the psalmist is just praising God for all these deeds that he's done. And over and over and over again, the refrain is, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over again, the psalmist is just proclaiming, exclaiming this truth. He knew it well. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Why? How can he say that? How is it that a person, knowing the love of God, could sing of this love forever because it is an inexhaustible topic? It's something that you can never get to the end of, get to the bottom of. You can never be done. It endures forever the love of God. And yet, the psalmist going on and on and on, singing forever, exclaiming forever with such repetition over and over again about the steadfast love of God was not in as prime a position to praise God for his love as we are. We have seen the manifestation of God's love in Christ on the cross, a propitiation for our sins. The psalmist didn't even know that yet. He greeted it from afar, but we know it. Christ has died in our place. When the psalmist wrote about the love of God, the love of God, the steadfast love of God, he was writing about a love that had not yet been finished, a work of God to express his love to us that was not yet even finished. Here we are looking at a finished work, a complete work of God's love for us made manifest in Christ. There's nothing else we need to know for sure that God loves us. Now, I want to go to a very familiar passage for you. If you've spent 15 minutes in church, then you know all about Romans chapter 8, don't you? Romans chapter 8 is one of those just soaring passages filled with so much rich theology and encouragement about God's love for us and the, the finality of what he's accomplished for us through the gospel. but I don't want Jesus' words on the cross to leave your mind before we go to this Romans 8 passage. You can cue it up if you want. Romans 8, starting in verse 35. But please, hear ringing in your ears, it is finished. Christ's complete work of love made manifest through his death on the cross so that sinners would be reconciled to a holy God, brought into joy, brought into peace that they could never have apart from him. 
this thing that we so desperately need, it is finished. Romans 8, 35 through 39, I think that this was so fresh, the finality, the completion of this work of love for us when Paul wrote this praise, this declaration, these rhetorical questions about the love of God with these amazing gospel answers. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This finished work, this complete work manifested for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Remember, Paul had experienced all those things. That was his list. You maybe from your list would add some other things that threaten your sense of being loved by Christ. That seek to tear down and chip away at and poke holes at the love of Christ in your mind, in your heart. Here the list is merely tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. As it is written, as it is written about them, as it is said about the apostles, those proclaiming the gospel, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But Paul says, no, no. In all these things, in the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger, the sword, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who loved us to the end, who completed a work of love for us. For I am sure that neither death, he goes on, oh, the list isn't done, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, junk drawer of anything you could imagine, none of it will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is finished. Anything that could separate you from the love of Christ, finished. Any opposition that could present itself as a reason to believe God doesn't love you, finished. The reason we can't be separated from the love of Christ is that it has been secured with total finality through his death on the cross for us. Can Christ become undead on the cross? He's resurrected. He died and he rose, but you cannot ever go back and say he didn't die. That's finished. He did die in our place as a propitiation for our sins. No one can go back and rewrite that. It happened, can't be undone. So when he said from the cross, it is finished, he was finished being a propitiation for our sins as God's great expression of love for us. I want to ask you for just a moment, in your heart, to enjoy that. Just enjoy that. I know normally the way sermons go is 
uh, you all sit there and stare this direction, and I stand here and I look at you and I just keep saying and saying and saying and talking, but for just a minute, can we just enjoy that Christ died as a payment for our sins as God's great manifestation of love for us. Just enjoy that. That's true. <laughs> That's true. This is why we can look to the cross to remember that he loves us. Look to the cross often, every day, look to the cross. When you feel assaulted, look to the cross. When you feel doubtful, look to the cross. When people are opposing or trying to tear you down or discourage you, or they don't understand your faith in Christ, they question it, look to the cross. When just the circumstances of living in a broken world full of sin, including your own, hurt you, when your body is sick and failing you and you feel just weak, look to the cross. When you have tried from every angle to live a life that is perfect, that's good, that feels worth it, and you feel that you're failing, look to the cross. God loves you. He's proven it. He didn't have to but he did, it's finished. God loves you. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, this great expression of sacrificial love that cannot be undone is finished, not by you, not by anyone else, not by tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or death or life or angels or rulers, Things in the past, things in the present, things in the future, powers, height, depth, nothing else. Nothing can separate you from it. It's just finished. So the question is here, do you know for sure that God loves you? I'm not asking you to uh, just ag agree with a sermon point because that's the correct answer. We're not, I'm not passing out quizzes and trying to see, you know, how correct your theology is. I'm asking about your state of heart, your belief, how you interpret life. Do you know for sure that God loves you? Now we could ask that question a different way according to our 1 John 4 passage, the way John defines love and the manifestation of love for us is through Christ's death on the cross as a propitiation, a payment in our place for our sins. So let's ask this a different way. Do you know for sure that Christ died for you? Now that's by nature an evangelistic question, isn't it? Do you know for sure that Christ died for you? That's what you ask people when you're not sure they know, when you're not sure they believe the gospel. Let me ask you another question. Why do I sin? Why do I strive? Why do I doubt? Is it not 
that I don't have a complete belief in God's love for me through the death of Christ on the cross for me? Is it not that that is a 99.9% certainty in my heart, but that little 0.1% haunts me? When I fail, when I sin, isn't that why when I sin, when you sin, you find it harder to engage God, to pray to God? to come into his presence, to speak words to him when you've sinned because you have that little sliver of doubt about whether or not he loves you completely, whether or not Christ's work on the cross was finished for you. We can deny that all day long. We can try to pretend that that's not true. But the reason we sin, the reason we doubt, the reason we strive, the reason we're still asking God to prove his love to us is because we're not sure Christ died for us and that that is a complete work of God's love for us. Proof that cannot be undone, that doesn't need to be questioned, that doesn't need to be reiterated as if Christ has to keep on dying for us. If you were to come today, Jesus, and die on a cross today, and I could watch you do it today, and you said from the cross, it's for you, then I'd believe you. But it is a finished work. Doesn't need to be repeated. Doesn't have to be reiterated. It has been made manifest, and it is finished. So this question, this really just gut-wrenching, difficult question that we wrestle with, do we know for sure that God loves us? Do we know for sure that Christ died for us? It's not just a question for people who don't believe in Jesus. It's a question for the disciples of Christ. Are we deepening in our belief of these things? Are we every day seeking to deepen in our belief that God loves us and that Christ's death for us is the final complete manifestation of his love for us? If by God's grace you have come to know that Jesus died for you, that God loves you, then again, let me invite you to enjoy that truth. Enjoy that truth. Because what's the opposite of that? To know that it's true and not enjoy it because of some sense of doubt, some sense of incompletion, some lack of finality. God, keep proving it. Keep proving it to me. My circumstances are trying to prove otherwise. Keep proving it to me. This is a lack of enjoyment in our belief that God loves us and that the work of Christ to manifest that love is finished, that it's good, it's done, it's enough, it's sufficient, something to be rested in. Let me invite you to enjoy this truth. And now, you know, I hope that you're enjoying it right now as I speak, just enjoying the fact that Christ died for you, and then that proves God's love for you. 
But here's the thing about us. We know us, right? We know what it's like to be in here and think about God and think about life when this is sitting in our laps and somebody's up there reminding you and encouraging you and, and, and pressing truth into you. We know what this is like, but then we know what that's like. We know how much harder that is when we go out there and life keeps on happening and nobody's just following us around going, Christ died as a propitiation for your sins. You remember that, right? Don't you guys remember that he did that as you're sitting there typing in your cubicle and there's someone just assigned to just being in your ear all the time. Remember the gospel. Remember that Christ died for you. When nobody's there to remind you, that's the time when it's so hard to just rest and enjoy this truth. So how does that change? How do we fight that battle? How do we remember these things and just enjoy them? Is it not by remembrance? Is it not by walking by the Spirit, living in community with one another, praying for each other, praying for our own souls? It's a daily walk with God of remembrance about what he's done for us. I'm not gonna give you like three points of how to accomplish, you know, never doubting God's love again. Because it's just not, there's, there's not some easy list of things that you just check off and as long as you do those three things every day, you'll never doubt God's love again. It is by walking by the Spirit daily. Just immersing yourself in truth daily. Walking in community with people who know you and love you and know the truth daily. This is how we combat doubt of God's love. Striving for more proof of God's love. This is how we enjoy God's love. Now, what is the power of enjoying this truth of God's love for us? I have come to a place um, where I feel, okay, I, I'm not, I, I feel like I could give you a thousand scriptures to tell you why I believe this, but our Romans 8 passage is enough. I believe that if you and I have coming to a place, walking by the Spirit, immersing ourselves in truth, remembering the gospel, walking in community together with people who know the gospel, who love God, love us, can remind us. I believe that by enjoying this truth of God's love for us, we will come to a place of security about life that will be absolutely transforming. It changes the entire way you live. The entire way you live. It changes the way you plan. It changes the way you interpret your past. It changes the way you relate to other people, the way you relate to God. It changes the way you read the Bible, the way you pray, the way you work at your job, the way you raise your kids, the way you interact with your spouse. It changes absolutely everything about life if you are enjoying coming to a place of such embrace and belief and rest in God's love for you, proven to you through the death of Christ, finished work of love, coming to such a place of belief and rest in that that you are just simply enjoying it. 
then as Paul says, at that point, what could separate you from the love of Christ? What could you imagine that you believe could separate you from the love of Christ? I I invite you now to even use your imagination to try to think of something, some circumstance, some person, some event, something in your past, something in the future. Maybe Satan? Maybe Satan could separate you from the love of Christ? Could you imagine some strategy, how he might come against you that would separate you from the love of Christ? If you are in a place where you're simply enjoying the truth of God's love for you, manifested through Christ's death on the cross for you, then you cannot imagine. There is nothing that escapes this. You cannot imagine a scenario in which you should be scared. You just can't think of anything. Which then begs the question, what are you scared of? What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of it? Is there a person you're afraid of? A situation? Some circumstance? Some pain? Some imaginary hypothetical scenario that you run through your mind just hoping, just praying, pleading with God, please don't ever let that happen. It's the one thing I can't imagine surviving. What are those things? And I want to invite you in full view of them, all their threats, all their haunting, to just allow them to be defeated as you enjoy the truth of God's love for you in Christ. They don't stand. I know this is like super spiritual and yet oddly kind of like just right in front of you. You know what I mean? Logical, almost calculated. God did it. It's finished. He said so. This is how you know God's love for you. Jesus died. That already happened. Can't undo that. It's real. Now just enjoy it. And as you learn to enjoy it, walk in it, embrace it, like it. You hear me? Liking the fact that God loves you. Just, I, I like that. I know that's real. That feels good. That's, that invites me into security and rest and joy and peace. Why are we always striving? Why are we sinning? Because we forget. We forget Jesus died for us. And this is God's great expression of love for us. So, here we go. If I, can, if I can attempt to just recap something that I know feels a lot like I, I just threw a big thing up against the wall and it just splattered everywhere and now you're just like, uh, <laughs> let me help you try to deal with this. When the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the reality of the gospel, God's love for you in Christ, proven through his death on the cross for you, as a propitiation for your sins, a payment in your place, so that you would be reconciled to a holy God, a gift of grace, undeserved, relationship with him, joy, peace, security, eternal life with him, none of it deserved, all of it gifted, 
when we hear this truth, how are we going to live in light of it? That's the question here this morning. When we remember the gospel, I know that in my life, there are things that I mean off the top of my head that are a part of my life every day, the way I think, the way I live, the way I interact with other people, the way I engage God, my desire for him, my plan, all those things. I can point to so many things right off the top of my head that just absolutely disagree with the fact that God loves me, the fact that Jesus has died for me, just absolutely disagree with it. But if I enjoy it, if I like it, if I embrace it, I make it the prerequisite for all my other thinking, then this praise coming from Paul can be my praise. This enjoyment, this exulting in what God has done, the love of Christ, that can be my exulting my praise, my enjoyment, my security. This is just simply remembering, believing, enjoying the gospel of God in Christ. So as you sit here this morning, as you go and enjoy, you know, steak and whatever, you know, something with cheese melted over it for Father's Day, As you go back to work, bacon, amen, thank you. I almost blasphemed. Didn't mention bacon on Father's Day. As you just go throughout your life, go back to your jobs, back to your homes, back to your relationships, is there going to be some kind of fierce, faithful determination to enjoy the gospel of Christ? I know that Jesus died for me. I know that God loves me. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid to just do for the Lord's sake? What am I afraid to give away for the Lord's sake? If God loves me, if there's nothing that can separate me from this, if it's a finished, final, complete work of love, and God can't be talked out of it. I can't sin my way out of it. I can't mistake my way out of it. Nobody else can hurt me out of it. Then what am I afraid of? According to Jesus, the worst the world can do to you is kill you. That's not real power. God loves you. Let me finish with this from Ephesians chapter three. And I'm not saying this so much to try to talk you into something uh, or to try to teach you something. Um, I'm not um, pleading with you about anything. At this point, I'm kind of done preaching and, and the love of God is just a fact that's been made manifest through Christ's death on the cross for your sins. He's proven it, even though he didn't need to. He did as an act of grace. He's proven his love. That's just finished. We're called to just enjoy it and walk in it, believe it, embrace it, like it, arrange our lives around this fact. We've just called to these things. 
That's the end of the sermon. Now if I can just declare over you Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, may you be glorified in us as we enjoy the truth of your finished work of love for us. Jesus, thank you that you finished this work of love, dying in the place of sinners, a criminal's death, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you left nothing undone. You manifested the love of God to us. We know that you left no room for doubt. We know that there wasn't anything that slipped through the cracks that would have proven to us the love of God. We know that there's nothing we need to know your love apart from what you've already done. And yet, Lord, in your grace, you continue every single day to pursue us, to teach us, to forgive us, to lead us and love us. You're so gracious. Lord, we confess our limitation, our weakness, our sinfulness, our doubtfulness. 
How is it that you have done this complete work of love, giving your life to express your love for us and to accomplish forgiveness for us? And yet we doubt and we fear and we sin. How is it that you could still continue to love us? Lord, I know the answer. I love the answer. Thank you for the answer. It's that your steadfast love endures forever. That you weren't counting on us. That it wasn't some kind of conditional sacrifice. That as long as we would keep up our end of the deal, then you would be faithful. Then your love would endure. Lord, I ask you, if you will please, convince us all categorically in every place in our heart, everywhere we fear and struggle and strive and doubt, every place in our heart where we're still looking for proof that you love us, Lord, would you eradicate the doubt. Would you just wash us in the truth? Bring us to a place of enjoyment of the gospel. Church, if I know anything about these times than I know in this posture of prayer, hearing the word of God declared over us, hearing the call to believe, to embrace, to enjoy the gospel, seeing how our lives, our beliefs, our fears, contradict belief I know that in these moments the Holy Spirit moves he works he brings reality conviction but he never leaves you in a place of condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, he leads you through that conviction to belief, to rest, to enjoyment of the truth. It is of no trouble to me to say the th same things to you again. Jesus died for you. God loves you. Let those truths dominate your heart, dominate your thinking. If anything disagrees, 
that thing is wrong. If anything disagrees, that thing is a lie. If anything disagrees with God's love for you in Christ, made manifest through his death on the cross, then that thing is from Satan. Let's enjoy the gospel. According to Paul's prayer, there's a way that we can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This stuff just can't be known. Not by mere human effort. By the Spirit's help, by His power working within us, we can know that God loves us. So I invite you, by God's grace, by a work of the Spirit, to believe and enjoy this fact and to rearrange your entire life around it. Starting today. God help us. Please help us. We ask for it for your name's sake, Lord, that you would be glorified, magnified, enjoyed more purely, more deeply than ever before. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.